0: In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, And if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack save the world.
1: People moving out, people moving in. Why? Because the color of their skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Vote for me and I'll set you free. Wrap on, brother. Wrap on. Well, the only person talking about love thy brother is the preacher. And it seems nobody's interested in learning but the teacher. Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to our nation, ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. Hey, hey. Welcoming friends, welcoming friends, welcoming <laughs> friends you're here we're excited um that was the opening lyrics to the 1970 song ball of the confusion that's what the world is today by the iconic temptations um if you ever heard the song you know it's it's something else and mind you this is 1970 before either one of us were born before either one of your hosts were born. We weren't even twinkles in our parents' eyes yet.
0: Not a That's not a glimpse. Not nothing. A
1: glim- nothing. And that still applies 50-something years later. Do with that what you will. But we're glad you're here.
0: <laughs> that we are. That we are. Oh, that man. we are. And this will be our first uh, episode of Black History Month. But mm-hmm. as we've... Mentioned many, many a time, Black history is everybody's history.
1: Yes. So,
0: but we are still going to honor it. Yes. Because that's how we
1: roll. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. And before we get into the meat of this Dagwood sandwich, I'm sorry, I just dated myself. If you don't know what Dagwood is, (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Right. We got to quit uh, aging ourselves.
1: <laughs> God, that's horrible. That comic is older than us too. Um also anyways, <laughs> Before we get into the the meat of this particular episode, we're going to do what we always do. What we love to do even when the news is weird. WTFs? What do you got?
0: That is true. That is true. Um, the, real quick though, before we mm-hmm. do go into our WTFs, I am going to mention um, now. I'm going to be perfectly honest and transparent. I did not know who this particular person was, but he was obviously significant enough that his passing was mentioned on corporate media uh, shows, and I just wanted to uh, give condolences to the family of uh, Radio Hall of Famer civil rights activist um, Joe Madison. Uh, He passed away today and um, manded just did a ton of crap. He was a running back at Washington University in St. Louis, where he was also a baritone soloist on the choir. And then he was the disc draftee. Obviously, that led to uh, him becoming a radio personality. But he also uh, was a civil rights activist in the U.S., and he also fought for the rights of people in other countries as well. And um, I, I just wanted to give condolences to his family because apparently he was a pretty significant person. And that's one of the things that we do on this show is we try to highlight people that are significant, even if we don't know about them, because that's how everyone gets to know about them. Yes. So anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that out there before we, before we start.
1: My bad. Yes. Oh no, yes.
0: that's quite all right. Quite all right. But my <laughs> WTF <laughs> moving on <laughs> comes from my home state of Oklahoma, and that would be the man that proposed the bill to get rid of no fault divorce in Oklahoma. Also has a bill that he has proposed that would make it illegal to send um, to sext anyone who is not your spouse. I'm not entirely sure a how that would be enforceable, but it is a bill because <laughs> it would be called unlawful porn with enforcement possible through both criminal prosecution and private lawsuits. It would make it a misdemeanor to post, for, exhibit or publish unlawful porn. No first amendment violations there. It defines porn as any visual depiction or individual image stored or contained in any format on any medium, including, but not limited to film, motion picture, videotape, photograph, negative, undeveloped film, slide, photographic product, reproduction of a photographic product, play or performance when the depiction involves basically any sort of sex act, nudity, partial nudity, or sexual fetish. Unlawful depictions include sexual intercourse, which is normal or perverted, along with oral sex, anal sex, and masturbation. Also included is any lewd exhibition of the uncovered genitals, butthocks, or if such person is female, the breast for the purpose of sexual stimulation of the viewer. Any depiction of physical restraint, such as binding or fettering in the context of sexual conduct, is also defined as sadomasochistic abuse. So, there you go. Conservatives. I mean, I don't see how that would be enforceable. What are they going to do? Have cops come to your door every day to see if your phone has anything on it?
1: I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) What? Why why are politicians so concerned with what happens in people's bedrooms? Because basically that falls into that. It's not their business whether or not who you're talking to in that regard. It's not their business. As long as you are over 18. As long as you are in a, over 18 and you pay taxes, leave me alone. I don't even not, argue
0: that people that don't pay taxes can send nudes to their significant other.
1: Because if they're doing all that, there's probably something else going on even more serious. But that's not our business either. Right. Unless, of course, they're hurting somebody. Right. Obviously,
0: that's an exception. but.
1: Or stealing from somebody.
0: Yeah, obviously you don't want like revenge porn going around or something like that. Surely not. But if you snap a picture and send it to whoever you send it to, as long as they're not offended and they're cool with it, why do you care?
1: So freaking weird. I don't, I don't, I understand nothing. Clearly I understand nothing anymore.
0: Yeah. That would be Oklahoma State Senator Dusty Devers. Dusty? Apparently, he has a dusty view of the First Amendment. That was bad, I know. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Been a dad a long time.
1: I'm just so sad. I Do uh... you know how they say you have to work on, when you're in a partnership, like a romantic partnership, you have to work on that relationship on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. It's the same way that I have to work on my relationship with Hope. I have to reaffirm every day that every day that it's
0: still alive and well.
1: still alive. Something good (laughs) is going to, is happening somewhere. It has to be because there's too much of this. There's too much of this useless crap happening. Once once
0: again, we've said it before, the don't tread on me crowd sure likes to tread on others.
1: All day, every day. Like, why do you care? Why do you care if people are cheating? Right what even even bigger than that why are you so concerned with trying to control people's morality because that's what this is yeah
0: yeah also apparently doesn't think that people should be able to get a divorce what does he want it to be a long dragged out affair actually he doesn't think people should get a divorce because that would mean women could file for divorce never mind I answered my own question
1: yeah you did and that's why if you don't cheat, then you have no reason to get divorced. And even if you try to get divorced, well, this is what's going to happen to you. It's all it's all interconnected. These are the bits and pieces
0: yeah. Of, yeah. Of, I, of
1: Project 2025. They're lining it up as we speak. Yeah, Bits and pieces.
0: I forget that in the evangelical movement, they don't think that a woman whose husband is beating the shit out of her should be able to leave him. Yeah, that She should just endure it. I used yeah. to think to myself, mm-hmm. you know, Not, I always thought you shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be said, but you know, how would you feel if that was your daughter? And since then, in the last year or so, I've come to realize that evangelicals don't give two shits about their daughters, they don't care about them.
1: No, because that's why they have, and mind you, it's only the girls, they have Hmm, them join purity clubs and wear purity rings when they make these vows to their fathers, which is gross, virgins till they're married.
0: Ew, gross
1: the grossest thing ever but okay yeah
0: that's probably why the fact that trump wanted to date ivanka doesn't bother them
1: yeah it just it just it blows right past and then are not even making a big deal out of that shit
0: yeah please well anyway yeah. just when i think my state can't get any dumber <clears throat> i'm sorry <laughs> it does it it does get dumber so anyway mm-hmm. that's my my wonderful world what you got for us?
1: Lord. Okay. <laughs> so I had to preface this by saying, I, I've probably been saying it every week for the past month, that there was a story I kept coming across, but I just didn't want to address it yet because it pissed me off so bad. Well, last week, or was it earlier this week? Last week, late last week, there was another development in it. So I'm going to talk about the whole story now. If I get loud, you'll know why, but I'll make it as succinct as I can. All right. Yeah. So back last September, 2023, a young lady by the name of Brittany Watts, who lives in Warren, Ohio, woke up one morning and realized that she was miscarrying. She was 22 weeks pregnant. And unfortunately, her fetus had been declared non-viable a few days ago by doctors. Non-viable means, unfortunately, that the baby would not make it to term. So she spent a total of 19 hours back and forth to the hospital trying to get help. She goes the first time. They were kind of dragging their feet. She left. Went again. They pretty much told her, yeah, we can't really do anything for it. She left again. Unfortunately, she did not miscarry. She did pass the fetus. And let me stop right here. I've never had it happen, but I cannot imagine what goes through a woman's mind when she miscarries, especially when she's at home and it happens. And apparently, from what I've read, she was by herself. Yeah, I can't imagine what she's going through. But uh, she, the way she said it, it, was that she she thought she had disposed of the remains, had buried them. She goes back to the hospital after all this happens to have a and C dilation, right. image, which is generally what happens after a. a miscarriage she goes back tells him what happens she says a nurse came and tried and was comforting her rubbing her back telling her everything would be okay and then that nurse turned around and called the police on her directed them to go to this woman's house to find the fetus which they did unfortunately it was in the pipes of the toilet itself right yeah they had to take the, the the toilet with them as evidence etc cetera, etc cetera. and then district attorney charged her with abuse of a corpse She went to trial. She went to trial over this early in January. They dismissed the charges. So last week, I think it was last week, week four, she actually did an interview for the first time after all this had happened. And this is where she tells people finally that she knew it was a nurse that called the police on her. First of all, whoever that nurse was broke all the HIPAA laws. Yeah. you shared medical information with someone that that woman did not authorize you to do. I don't care if I don't I guess she thought she was or he, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't think it says anywhere what what gender the nurse was. But whatever they thought was happening, I guess they thought they were doing the right thing. I, I can't imagine why you would violate that woman like that. Right. You're sitting here lying in her face telling her Yo, everything will be okay and then in the meantime you turn her in. Mhm what? For what? Why are you turning her in? So, like I said, they charged her and when the child, they dismissed the charges. And like I said, she had gone back and forth to the hospital over the course of roughly, you know, two days. Mm-hmm. And they monitored her the first time for about eight hours. Nothing was happening. Nobody was telling her anything. She left. Against medical advice, again, I cannot sit up here and blame her because she was going through a lot. And not to not to sit up here and try to analyze her or anything remotely like that. But I doubt seriously she just did that for kicks. But okay. She went to the hospital again the next day. She was she stayed there for eleven hours this time. They gave her an IV and they told her they would induce her, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she, she said she was unaware that they were they had contacted the hospitals, the doctors had contacted the hospital's ethics committee before they induced her due to concerns about Ohio's abortion laws. Right. Because, of course, it is Ohio? Ohio is 16 weeks right now, isn't it? Or is it 12?
0: I've, is it not a six week?
1: It, it might be. Because isn't and, that why that girl had to go to
0: Indiana, the 10-year-old? she was like eight weeks I think so I could be wrong on that don't don't hold me to that
1: abortion is legal until quote viability which is the state of the pregnancy when a fetus has developed enough that it right. is able to survive outside the uterus <sighs> anyway so they're hemming and hawing as to whether or not they're going to get in trouble if they induce her because they know the pregnancy is not viable anymore Right. so now they're hemming and hawing she leaves again so and then, like I said, she goes through this by herself, and people were running her mouth saying, "Well, she left twice against medical advice." Well, what were you doing for? Right, you were you were like too busy trying to cover your own asses, apparently. Right, what did you want her to do? It's probably yeah. one of the most stressful times that she's ever had in her entire life. She's supposed Are... to understand that y'all worry about the law. Okay, yeah. So, like I said, she finally gave an interview uh, recently. Oh, I'm sorry. Here we go. Ohio law bans abortions after 22 weeks with exceptions okay. for life-saving care. She was 21 weeks and six days, which didn't matter because she miscarried. Right. This is why I've been so mad because when I first heard about it was right after she had gotten arrested. And I've been following the story this entire time and I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it because it just pissed me off. Yeah. Because this was happening at the same time that that lady in Texas- Found out her pregnancy was going to be non-viable. And she was trying to get an abortion, and up having to leave the state yep. to do it. That got a lot of coverage. This got coverage for the wrong reasons. Both of these women have pregnancies that weren't going to work out. Unfortunately, what happened with Ms. Watts, it was spontaneous. Yeah. And she did probably the best that she could do with her mindset at the time. But the lady in Texas, oh, <gasps> my God. I feel horrible for both of them. Well, any woman yeah. in this position that has to do this, I do too. But the That's... thing of it is, what what blows my mind is that she didn't she didn't do this. Her body did this, unfortunately. Right. And they're literally acting like like she did something wrong, and trying to, instead of trying to give her a benefit of doubt and some understanding of what was happening with her at the time. It's fucking ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I, I can't disagree. <laughs> argue with you on that it is ridiculous the whole thing is ridiculous and stories like this are probably going to become a lot more common over the next few years because they've already what in the last 2 years i can't remember what this stat was but it has affected an insane number of women throughout the country uh in all sorts of ways they've come out with so
1: and and i read it i read this somewhere else too that just because their healthcare providers does not mean that they believe <laughs> in uh pro-choice.
0: Right. Also but true.
1: But apparently the nine one one call, which I'm reading this from the CBS News website, they got a hold of the call and the nurse tells the dispatcher that she was treating, quote, a mother who had a delivery at home and came in without the baby. The nurse told the dispatcher she says the baby's in her backyard in a bucket. And then Ms. Watts on her interview says I said I didn't want to look. She didn't want let let me just back up once again. I don't know how many times I had to reiterate it. I can't imagine her mindset and the shock and the sorrow that she was probably in for doing for what happened and doing right. what she did. How can you place any blame on her for this? Yeah. It's fucking nonsense. I hate and My it.
0: my sister had a miscarriage and um it happened at home and it was horrible and mm-hmm. it affected her. I'm not gonna go into any more you know detailed than that because you know, that's her story mm-hmm. you know? but it was horrible and it affected her and so yeah that you're not thinking straight mm-hmm. So the only reason that they were kind of able to sort of because she was not thinking straight it was her husband he was thinking straight <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's sort of you know why they you know were able to get together and go, go to the hospital and all that junk but Um, My sister was not able to make good decisions in that moment.
1: No. Can you you even expect that that a woman would? That's nuts.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: nuts. And just because, you know, the nurse had this uh, overriding sense of nobility and high-mindedness. I don't know. Were you... It kind of makes me wonder now, was that nurse even really concerned about the baby or the fact that this woman may have done something to the baby?
0: That That's a good question.
1: Point of the matter, though, like I said, they dropped the charges against her in January the 11th. Um, the grand jury there in Trumbull County, where she lives in Ohio, they declined to indict her. And I'm glad. I'm glad they, I'm glad they, they said, no, nah, we were not doing this. For whatever yeah. reason they had, I'm glad they did it. She, the loss of the child was more than <laughs> enough. Thank you. And you think for some reason she needs to be punished for what?
0: I know. I know.
1: It's crazy. Now I'm just mad again. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Well. Oh boy. That's my WTF. I'm I'm finally glad that I got through that story. Cause... Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's not a story I want to necessarily tell the first day of Black History Month. But uh, lest anyone miss the point, yes, a lot of people have read between the lines on this one that possibly her race.
0: Had mattered. something to do with
1: it. Yeah, oh gosh. I digress.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, Black people can't love children and want to have children and be joyful about being pregnant.
1: Clearly not. Clearly not. And if something happens, it's out of our control. Obviously we have to be sneaky and try to cover things up. Yeah, that's a, That's exactly what this this was about. I would like to drop kick that nurse and I hope whoever that person was, they get fired at the very least. Provoke a license. Do something.
0: Maybe you she violated. should see about suing her for violating HIPAA laws.
1: How about that? At the least. Her in to, the hospital. I don't want to ever see that that nurse in, in healthcare ever again. Ever. I I agree. I agree. That's what I got. All righty. That's what I got. I'll breathe. I'll breathe.
0: Serenity now. Serenity now. Okay. All right. And now to piss you off more. No.
1: Hey.
0: <laughs> so if you've listened to our little show for the last couple of years, you know that um, the last two years we have highlighted people that are notable but aren't really noted or as famous you know known as they should be for doing what they did Mm -hmm. in the cause of whatever civil rights just just whatever notable people um this year we're going to do things a little different and today we're going to discuss redlining Mm -hmm. now i am going to say this and that for me and then i'm going to ask uh, Kenyatta, this question before I kind of get going. I would, if I had to bet, percentage wise, the number of white people who actually know what redlining is is probably less than twenty five percent of white Americans,
1: or they think they know,
0: right? What it is, yeah. Um, but now I'm going to ask you this question, Kenyatta. Mm-hmm. What would you say the percentage of black americans that know would know what redlining is because i dare say it's higher than 25. maybe roughly 50. Roughly so you half. don't think that it would be see i was thinking about this as i was researching it the number is probably higher the older you are in the black community probably. would be my guess probably.
1: since a lot of those since that particular practice started, uh, what in the fifties? Oh, no! <laughs> Earlier. Earlier, I know, I know, I know for a fact. And I I learned this from a TV show. This is why I say I can't say for sure that a great, uh, you know, a majority of, of Black Americans know about this because I know a lot of Black Americans did not know about the Tulsa Race Massacre until they saw it. That's true. A show.
0: That's true. Uh, the reason I think redlining, though, is probably different is because it did affect uh, a large portion of the country in uh, the attempts to purchase a home. Yes. So with that, I will uh, kind of get into this. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and I found it funny that a British encyclopedia had the best definition of what redlining was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, redlining is the illegal discriminatory practice in which a mortgage lender denies loans or an insurance provider restricts services to certain areas of a community, often because of the racial characteristics of the applicant's neighborhood. Redlining practices also include unfair and abusive loan terms for borrowers, outright deception, and penalties for prepaying loans. And so the, uh, the term redlining came about in reference to the use of red marks on maps that loan corporations would use to outline mixed race or African-American neighborhoods. Neighborhoods in more affluent areas, which were deemed the worthiest of loans, were usually outlined in blue or green. Neighborhoods outlined in yellow were also considered desirable for lending. Mm-hmm.
1: hmm
0: so now that I've kind of got the the definition out of the way, I'm going to give a, a a brief history, kind of how it started. Um, but I have to go back a little further. So as the Reconstruction era ended, Southern state legislature legislators began enacting the first segregation laws, known as the Jim Crow laws. By 1885, most Southern states had laws requiring separate schools for black and white students. And by 1900, persons of color were required to be separated in nearly all establishments. Uh, I just want to say real quick, just in terms of doing this research, at times I'm going to have to use uh, sort of terms that were popular at that time because that's the way it was written up. Um, it's not me because, you know, terminology changes. <laughs> <And> so, Negroes. <laughs> um
1: is that is that what you're saying is negro well
0: even like persons of color (laughs) and stuff like that oh Um, well i mean yes i don't think there's an actual negro in in here
1: i'm shocked
0: i think i may have changed that one (laughs) but um, it still might happen i just want to say that obviously it's not me but in the course of the research you kind of have to use the language of the time sometimes
1: Mm.
0: gotcha so anyway And by 1900, persons of colors were required to be separated in nearly all establishments. Rapid industrialization of the North, coupled with the Jim Crow laws in the South, bred ideal circumstances for the great migration of Black southerners to northern cities. White landowners in the North responded by instituting restrictive covenants and zoning laws. Now, if you remember last year or last season, we had um, a realtor on, Amy, and she did talk about covenants and how, um, to this day, it's difficult to get them removed, and that people are working on getting covenants removed from certain neighborhoods and stuff like that that still exist.
1: Yeah, we we touched um, on that too on that seat on what was a season one episode where we were talking about sundown towns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep.
0: And so, in the Midwest, racist curfews were enforced by vigilantes, whose efforts were not countered by local law enforcement. These exclusionary practices culminated in laws and policies, such as the federal government's creation in 1933 of the Homeowners Loan Corporation, or HOLC. This new deal benefit provided Americans access access to homeownership and means of social financial mobility. However, it was not distributed. Equitably. To determine mortgage wealthiness, the HOLC assessed and ranked neighborhoods using racial composition as a central factor. Neighborhoods with a large Black community were flagged as unstable and considered hazardous investments, thereby rendering residents incapable of receiving HOLC loans. While the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Fair Housing Act of 1968 intended to implement race neutral housing policy, the enduring effects of economic exclusion, neighborhood disinvestment, legal limits on social financial mobility, and codified limitation on resources and opportunities could not be undone by simply making housing discrimination illegal. Rather, it left a status quo upon which all subsequent housing policies emerged. As a result, the effect of legislation, policies, discrimination, and exclusionary practices endures through the present day. In the period following World War II, suburban communities remained largely white despite anti-discrimination rulings and legislation to the contrary, and in 1948, the, in the Supreme Court the case Shelley versus Kramer ruled that courts could not enforce racially restrictive practices. In 1968, the Federal Fair Housing Act forbade discrimination against minorities by real estate brokers, property owners, and landlords. The Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, HMDA, of 1975 required lending institutions to report public loan data, while the Community Reinvestment Act of 1977 was intended to encourage banks and other financial institutes to help meet the credit needs of the communities in which they operate so mm-hmm. one of the reasons though why i kind of wanted to talk about this is you will hear something sometimes uh a debate on tv and somebody you'll hear somebody say um you know and when you have redlining and to like the white conservative person when they hear that they just zone out and it just flies over their head. And there's not even an effort to try to understand why the person saying that redlining was bad is bad. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, for the, for the, the typical white person, that's just one of those things that you hear and you just dismiss it as just, Oh, there's just another thing that they're, you know, claiming is racist. Um, I know this because, well, That's just the people that I'm related to.
1: (laughs) To add to that, this also ties in heavily with the term white flight. Right. Especially up north uh, during what was called the great migration of blacks from the south up north to get better jobs, usually um, in manufacturing and such. And they would move into certain neighborhoods that. They were allowed into, but were populated with white families. And the more black families that moved into the neighborhood, the white families left. Because all of a sudden they were convinced their property values were going down, which yep. uh caused their property values to go down.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I'm actually going to touch on that in a yes. few <laughs> paragraphs down. So.
1: <laughs> My bad. But, I had to oh, say No, <laughs> no, that's fine. No, no, that's
0: fine. Before I get to that, though, there is this other part. Um, that I found particularly interesting, even though it's not surprising and everybody should be obvious on the surface, um, and that would be effects on health. Emerging evidence shows that the health consequences of historical redlining on present-day health include induces, including increased risk of diabetes, hypertension, and early mortality due to heart disease. Uh-huh. Studies using digitized copies of the H.O.L.C. maps to examine the association between historic redlining and present-day health outcomes also show associations with worse mental health and worse, worse self-related health. Recent work has further indicated that residents of historically redlined areas are subject to increased rates of gunshot-related uh, emergency department visits and injuries, increased odds of preterm birth, and higher rates of diabetes-specific mortality and years of life lost. The documented, wait, sorry, I wrote this weirdly. Um, The persistence of these associations noting that HOLC redlining scores consistently explain 45 to 56 percent of the variation in census tract level diabetes mortality rate and 51 to 60% of the variation in the census tract diabetes uh, years life loss rate between the years of 1990 and 2014 in Seattle, Washington. And um, historically redline neighborhoods were shown to be subject to worse COVID-19 outcomes than residents within non-redlined areas. And so while the mechanisms between historical redlining and health outcomes have not been fully, like, well, well examined, evidence does suggest that historic redlining operates upstream to suppress uh, social advancement by limiting potential to achieve higher income. And it is proven that, generally speaking, people, the higher income you make, the better health that you are in. Um so this ultimately impacts i hate this term but it's the way it was written Um, human capital i.e people that have jobs Mm -hmm. i I just i hate the term human capital (laughs) but it skills knowledge and valuable information that adds to society and, um, but another part of this that's to me really the most important part is a key example of this can be seen through the systematic closure of hospitals across historically redlined communities. Hospital closures not only represent the removal of access to care, but also remove employment opportunities and asset uh, uh, building and stuff like that through increased economic capability and capacity.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Hmm. And, that that's sort of something though that, that we've talked about uh, before is one thing can have all of these sort of splinter effects that nobody is aware are related when in fact they are. <laughs> so, hmm. and then here, <laughs> and this is how the Federal Housing Administra- Administration justified this discrimination. I I figured I would I would not be doing my job if I didn't report on this. Federal Housing Administration's justification was that if African-Americans bought homes in these suburbs, or even if they bought homes near these suburbs, the property values of the homes they were insuring, the white homes they were insuring would decline, and therefore their loans would be at risk. However, there was no basis for this claim on the part of the Federal Housing Administration. In fact, When African-Americans tried to buy homes in all-white neighborhoods or in mostly white neighborhoods, property values rose because African-Americans were willing to pay more for the properties than whites were simply because their housing supply was so restricted and they had so many fewer choices. So this rationale was never based on any sort of study or facts or statistics. It was based on a big steaming pile of racism and bullshit. Mm-hmm. Similar to the pile of poo in Jurassic Park with Dr. Ann Malcolm. That is one big pile of shit because that's what that was.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. First of yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> um, It probably goes without saying, but I got to say it. Um, racism is bad for your health. Yeah. Because that's exactly why. People that lived in in those segregated, quote-unquote, Black neighborhoods were suffering so much more than the average rate of those certain kinds of diseases. That's a lot of stress yeah, to have inflicted on you. Because not only if you were able to secure a bank loan, you were paying a higher interest rate. If you couldn't get a traditional bank loan and you bought the house on contract, and that's a term I learned about a couple of years ago, which means you're basically buying from the seller in payments. Right. That's stressful because you miss a payment. Your money is gone. Yep. So there's that. Plus you have to put up with neighbors that don't want you there. Yep. I could go on, but I won't because I'll digress. But racism is bad for your health. Both when it is inflicted upon you and when you try to inflict it on somebody else because The races don't think that it's going to catch up with them, but it does. It definitely does. Because hate is an ugly
0: thing. Yep. Hating people is bad for you as well.
1: Indeed. Um, But please, uh, go ahead. Thank you.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So, are there effects today that are still ongoing? No. Really? (laughs) There are. Isn't that amazing? No. <laughs> so, in some places, redline areas uh, track with conventional perceptions. For example, in Birmingham, Alabama, the redline portion has a much higher concentration of Black residents than the rest of the city, as well as lower incomes and property values. Formerly redline Birmingham is also majority Black, and a large share of the Black citizens of Birmingham reside in formerly redline areas. Mm. And in cities throughout the South with similar demographic makeup and the history of racial violence policies and targeted assistance in redline, sorry, policies of target assistance in redline areas could prove useful in closing the local racial home ownership and racial disparities. And so a lot of cities now do have like first-time homeowners assistance that you can get. Uh, we discussed that when we talked with Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also depends on if you can't afford the down payment or the you know the other parts to qualify. In a sense, that's still kind of going on, even if you have assistance designed to help people become first-time home- homeowners. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Oh boy. And. Um, And so today, neighborhoods that fall within once red line areas are more likely to have a higher concentration of black residents.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean,
0: that makes sense, Mm -hmm. as well as lower incomes, lower home values and other negative characteristics, as we sort of talked about earlier. Um, But the remedies that focus on this paradoxically, as we were just discussing, do not necessarily always help the people that would need to help the most a lot of times you don't qualify or you don't make the right amount of money. And so it sort of can skew um, statistics in the impact that it has.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, a lot of times this is called place-based discrimination. And it's um, basically just divesting in neighborhoods wholesale on the basis of race. And it has had uh, an adverse effect. Um, there was a study that I wanted to include in this. It was very, very, very comprehensive, and I couldn't figure out almost a way to break it down so that I could fit it into this, you know, small amount of time that we have. But it was basically a comparison between Denver and Baltimore. And basically, it was talking about the population of each in, like, 1950, and then... um I think it was 2010 was the statistics from the last census that it used. And so like basically Denver's population in 1950 was like 400,000 people and now it's almost a million people. Baltimore has had the reverse effect. It was like 800,000 people in 1950 and now it's like 350,000.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so Baltimore has kind of had the reverse effect of people leaving um, whites and blacks. Mm -hmm. And so they almost have a lot of vacant buildings now because of that. True. And it was, how is the city of Baltimore going to deal with this without, you know, just wholesale demolishing houses. And basically it was talking about how is Baltimore, how could they use this overabundance of vacant properties to help people become first time home ownership outside of what would be the red line districts, because it's everywhere, apparently
1: in Baltimore. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And to I, get I, people I, to move. Yeah. I, I've, I've been through yeah. briefly and I'm, yeah, you can tell. Yeah. I'm, and I'm so, um,
0: it, but that also includes like, not only helping people get into the house, but also ways if the house needs, you know, grants to, you know, fix plumbing or electricity and, stuff like that because chances are a lot in Baltimore a lot of the housings have knob and tube wiring which is just dangerous yes and so there's that and it talks about like just just to give an example like in Baltimore in 1950 the population of black Americans was like I think it was like 20 percent and now mm-hmm. it's like 12 and it was this it was this but it's the same thing in Denver but it's but it's different. <laughs> So in Baltimore, it involved people moving to other parts of the country, right? In Denver, it dropped from roughly 20% to like 8%. But in this case, there were like three suburbs that are around Denver where the Black population moved to. So technically, that number, if you include like the whole Denver metro area, is still roughly the same. But statistically, if you're just counting Denver, it looks like there's been this great flight. Is that making sense? Yeah. And so that has kind of affected um, redlining and stuff like that,
1: Mm -hmm. which,
0: of course, now has led to gentrification of what used to be redline districts where corporations have come in and they buy all these vacant houses. There's kind of two types of gentrification. There's the natural kind where people can't afford to buy nicer houses but you can afford something here and they buy it and they do all this work renovating it mm-hmm. that's natural as it happens sort of communities mix and blend good way the bad way is when all these corporations go in and they'll buy eight houses on a block and then they turn them into rental properties Yeah, you know, they go you, in
1: you, 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 you've outpriced everybody in the neighborhood
0: Right, right. They'll buy a house. They'll go in. They'll put, you know, they'll buy the house for fifty k. They put a hundred k in it, and then all of a sudden, now they want to rent that house for two k a month.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's the the not good kind.
1: Yeah, and then <laughs> you know all the other comparable houses wouldn't rent for that. Right. much. and now you've just affected the property values of everyone around you, which affects property taxes, right. etc. And so,
0: and so it's, strangely enough, now they're redlining inside the formerly redlined areas. Of course. apparently Denver used to have a pretty large redlined area. And so now you're pricing the people that used to live in that area out of being able to afford to live in their area.
1: And this is kind of what, and not that I'm, I'm this is not me trying to make light of anybody's experience because it's tough out here for a lot of us, 99 percenters. And when I hear stories about, you know, especially folks like our kids age in their 20s and early 30s, having trouble finding places to live, um, especially in the bigger cities, and they're being literally priced out of a decent roof out of their over their heads. I'm like, do y'all not realize what this this is? Yeah. This is this is this kind of shit backfiring every single time.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And. You know, obviously I work in historic, well, maybe not obviously. I work in historic preservation, which is the preservation of buildings. So for what I do, saving old houses and, you know, restoring them, but keeping their character from the time and everything is an important thing. And so like the natural sort of slow gentrification where someone comes in and they don't, in one fell swoop, spend $150,000 renovating the house they buy the house and they spend a year you know renovating a bathroom and five years later up i can afford it now we're going to do the kitchen and you know that doesn't price people out of their houses no because it's slow it's kind of happening you know naturally so that doesn't price people out of their houses. It's the we buy eight houses, spend a million dollars, and up now this house is suddenly we're gonna charge you an astronomical fee. Yeah. And so it's important to know the difference.
1: And it's it's not just the individual upgrades that people do to their own homes. Sometimes it has to do with the the people in the neighborhood upgrading the neighborhood itself. Right. Like for like vacant houses, for instance, keeping the lawns cut. Yep. What's it called? The broken window theory? Mm -hmm. Making sure if there's vacant houses that, you know, any vacant, maybe broken windows are are boarded up. There's, you know, no graffiti, let's say, on those vacant houses or or fences that need to be fixed or fixed. Just giving the whole neighborhood sort of like a facelift. Right. And letting people know this is someplace you would like to live.
0: You don't want... People driving through to know that a home is vacant. Right. And when the neighborhood takes on sort of mowing, and in some cases, people will even park a car in a vacant house just so it looks like someone lives there. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing um, that's the way you want it to be done.
1: It's happening, like you said, in the way you said, far too much that it's being forced and it's deliberate. That they're driving, they're trying to drive out a certain certain kind of person, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're driving you out because you're poor or because you're not white. Either way, they've got a plan on who they who they actually want to live there, and it's not (laughs) you, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and put a Starbucks over here and a Lululemon over here, and then we're gonna uh, put this whatever whatever you know, this little boutique that sells dog and cat booties overheat shit like that who wants it right but all of a sudden now that you have these all these little niche places the people that come from somewhere else to visit them now they're like hey maybe we want to live here too <gasps> there's a house for sale boom 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 and in 10 years look what you've got yeah houses houses that would have had a value of like 250 now all of a sudden have doubled and people that yeah. still manage to live there, all of a sudden, their property taxes have jumped sky high because Brittany and Bobby wanted to.
0: <laughs>
1: right. They, they wanted to bring in pink marble for the fucking kitchen counters down the block.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you noticed when, um, when you came here, and we went Nate over at uh, Florence's, which mm-hmm. is on Northeast Twenty Third, which in mm-hmm. Oklahoma City is traditionally the the black part of town. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you noticed how there's this sort of great mix of buildings that are kind of shitty, but then you could tell that, man, somebody put some money and they they fixed that building. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the buildings that started getting fixed were initially purchased by uh, Black people, and then they fixed the building, and then doing that led to... Um, one of the the hospital places being like, hey, we're going to move our clinic from this building. We're going to renovate this building and we're going to move this clinic over here, which of course then, as we discussed, helps with the health of the people in that neighborhood. And um, it got a, uh, the city's first, what we call like a micro grocery store because that area was a a, a food desert. There was no grocery store anywhere near there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And while it was a small area, you know maybe a thousand square feet. At the same time, an actual new grocery store was being built just a couple of miles away. But if you live in that neighborhood and all you have is uh walking, that was just such a godsend. And I don't know if you if you kind of remembered how there was that interesting mix of not quite nice buildings. Wow, somebody put a lot of effort into that building mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and That one you could tell somebody's working on, and all of that, and it's it's just been nice to see, as somebody who works in the saving of buildings, buildings being saved and uncovering like all of the nasty like metal siding put on these old buildings, you know, in the seventies, and seeing like the original sort of brickwork from the nineteen twenties and stuff like that, and that's more been more of an organic type of uh fixing of the neighborhood in what would have been a redlined district of Oklahoma city.
1: The people there are doing it for the pride of doing it. They're not looking to cut a profit. Right. Yeah. And that's all the difference to, in, to me. So, but yeah, I mean, I noticed it and this I'm telling secrets. So listening friends don't tell nobody I said this. I remember of course that, that that was the quote unquote black side of town. Um, And then when I went over there to meet you at Florence's, I had some time and I needed a few hair care items. And I'm like, I'm on 23rd. There is a beauty supply store somewhere. And it was like three blocks down and all the right. Biggest That that
0: would be Queens.
1: Yes. (laughs) I got what I needed. Came right on back. I said, look at this. It's like I never left.
0: (laughs) Queens is like the super Walmart of.
1: Yeah, that place was huge. Yeah. There was a lot going on in there. It kind of gave me a headache. I'm like, but I found what I wanted, and I got out. I was like, this is. It's like I never left. Like I knew exactly where I needed to go.
0: Yeah. If if Queens doesn't have it, it probably doesn't exist.
1: You're absolutely correct. And if the setup is the same, every anywhere you go, anywhere yeah. you go, and then like there's other things like you said. There's other things that affect. Well, other things that are affected by who lives there like in neighborhoods that are populated by mostly black and other male and native folks, you'll find a lot of, like you said, no supermarkets or no supermarkets at reasonable prices or good inventory. Um, you'll find a lot of corner stores, liquor stores, check cashing places, very few banks. Yep. And, the, and like you said, because a lot of people might not, if they're in a, uh, Lower income neighborhood, they might not have transportation. So whatever stores are nearby within walking distance, hike their prices. Yeah, like all of this stuff is just it's like dominoes, just chained together. Everything affects everything else, simply because to this day, folks just don't want those kind of folks next door. Yep, it's it's sick. I'm yeah. in the year of our Lord. Yep. And people say racism doesn't. Didn't Nikki Haley just tell us racism doesn't exist? Didn't she just say that? It never
0: existed, according again, to
1: Again. She said it again,
0: right?
1: <laughs> oh, my God, that woman's crazy. I guess she's just throwing out all the stops, and she has no chance whatsoever. Just one. <laughs> and she's the least crazy
0: option on that side.
1: <laughs> That's frightening. That is frightening, because she says this stuff with all, all certainty no that's not a thing it's oh it's barack obama's fault
0: yeah yeah
1: so racism showed up in 2008
0: that's apparently when it started
1: i wish i would have known
0: imagine how different things could have been
1: i know before we wrap up
0: (laughs) (laughs) um i do want to add real quick though in the show notes i will put the link for the sort of study between denver and baltimore like I said it, it was really kind of a lot to at least for my ADHD brain to kind of break down, to make it to where I could fit it in like a, a, a you know, a, a three to five minute sort of segment. And so um we're going to have to give you some homework and you'll have to click on that link and uh, read it yourself.
1: Fair, fair. So one other thing before we wrap up, because we're, yeah, we're just we're just over an hour. We're good. We're geared. We give ourselves plus or minus 10 minutes so it's fine. It's fine. So I happen to be a member of the local chapter of the Urban League. Mm-hmm. And just this past Monday, uh, there was a what they call a town hall, virtual town hall meeting for various chapters across the country. And it was very interesting because I hadn't had the chance to be involved because I was a member this past year too, but I hadn't had a chance to be involved in too much. So that was the first big meeting I had been to, and it was very, very um informative and it was it was heartening to see all these folks from all over the place energized and getting involved, and they talked about voting, and it, that was the topic voting that's we, we can't we can't play no games. That was the theme. But um they had very, very briefly, um, as a as a guest, one of the founders of the Fearless Fund. Do you remember me talking about the Fearless Fund a while back? It was um, hey. a black woman-owned venture capitalist firm that worked with women, black women-owned businesses, uh, providing yeah, the grants. Yeah. Yes. And that asshole Edward Blum brought the lawsuit against them, saying they were excluding other people that weren't black. Right. Yeah. So just uh, just Tuesday, matter of fact, uh, they challenged the court order. That was issued against them, saying that they could not issue. They couldn't just isolate those grants to Black women. They had to open it up to everybody, and they went to court on this um, on Tuesday. And so, one of the co-founders, uh, a lady by the name of Ayanna Parsons, was at our meeting, and she spoke oh. real. She spoke real briefly about you know them going to court on the next day, and everybody wished her luck. And I was I was excited that she was there. I had no idea that she was going to be there, so I was like. I hope to God they let these women alone because it's people like Edward Blum that are the menaces here. Like really nobody knew nobody. He's really undercover. He like, he's the, he's literally the wizard behind the curtain. And he gets other people all riled up. Hey, let's sue so-and-so let's sue Harvard. Let's sue fearless fund. I don't right. know who else he has in line next. I'm very sure that he's got plotting some on somebody, as we speak. But he's been behind all this stuff to dismantle all these opportunities for equity and equality for non-white folks, and apparently he's having a ball. So, apparently, apparently. So, quote from the attorney that's representing the fearless fund. If the fearless fund is not allowed to give grants to black women consistent with their mission, it calls calls into the question every other charitable organization doing the same thing. This is why this case is important to them. And that's why this case should be important to everyone else in this country. And again, just because they want to be able to work with black women-owned businesses, they're being accused of being exclusionary. Right,
0: Charities are often I mean that's the point of the charity it's a narrow scope of people that you're trying to help right and and that's sort of the point I mean has anybody ever sued Ronald McDonald House because it has to be a kid that needs the medical care you you know you can't stay there when it's your 90 year old grandma
1: the fact that People actually chomped at the bit and got in on these lawsuits, claiming that they were being discriminated against because they couldn't access these grants. Well, what's the problem with you accessing grants at every other venture capitalist firm, right? That provides them to white people, right? Like every other one out there, right? And fearless fund is one of maybe one of a mere handful. That specifically focuses on black women and you gotta come for it. Fuck yeah.
0: Y'all. yeah. Yep. Related to that, with it being February first, mm-hmm. I, I am surprised that on the social medias I have not seen any I'm waiting for white people to get our own history month.
1: Oh, it's coming. Post
0: today. I know it is. Usually it's by the first, and yeah. I just didn't see it today. Well and um I I have actually In my phone notes, I wrote something out so that I could just go copy it and put it as a comment, which would be, oh, no, you're lucky. We have them, January, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, and December. (laughs) So we we will see how deep into February I can make it without seeing any posts like that.
1: Well, yeah, like I guess be with it being Black History Month. I, I you mentioned that and it just reminded me that I I woke trolled somebody earlier today on a Huff Post article. Uh it was about um the headline is I'm a high achieving black woman in largely white spaces and I'm exhausted. I didn't need to read the whole article. But I, I what <laughs> <the hell happened? laughs> I'm a woman. I'm a woman. This is me. So I'm reading the comments. I'm like one of the I mean, literally, the article just got posted. There's six comments already from angry white men. Right. This is why racism won't die. So basically, anytime you point out racism or inherent bias, you are indeed a racist. And you are causing racial division. Anytime you bring up race as a basis for some kind of unfair treatment, you are the racist. Right. Well, that's what I was
0: sort of, you know, when I started out Mm -hmm. talking about redlining. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it is, but if if a black person's complaining about redlining, then they're just, you know, being racist towards white people now because they're pointing out something that was systematic, you know, in the past. Even though, hey, there are thousands of things you can Google and find it. There is an overabundance of information on redlining on the Google.
1: <laughs> so my comment to these half a dozen angry white men was well, the comment section is starting out just as predicted with about half a dozen laughy faces. I have 47 likes at this moment. <laughs> and In, any retorts? Several, several lame weak retorts. Um But yeah, um, a lot of people, there are, it's roughly, looks like half and half, half that ooh, the reactions, these comments are not surprising. And the other half is ooh, Black people are causing racism by talking about things like this.
0: (laughs) By talking about racism.
1: So once again, we've got this little niche of angry, non-melanated folk co-opting another word and redefining it for their own use. Right, right. As we've
0: said before, uh-huh. having the stick that you beat people with taken away from you is not persecution.
1: No. Because literally no one is treating them like melanated people have been treated. It's never right. happened in this country. Never happened here. Uh,
0: yeah. So. On that with note. that? that? <laughs> I, I hope that I was able to. Uh, at least do some justice to the history of redlining and the impacts mm-hmm. that it's had in this country and still continues to have and will have for probably many more years to come,
1: yes, yes, they'll find a way to tweak it and try to put it put another face on it, but it'll always it always comes back well, but yes, yeah <laughs> so anyway, mm-hmm. But do you know that property value is up?
0: I know Donald Trump's isn't.
1: Ours. Our property value is up. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) Do you want to tell the friends how they can help us with that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash pods, and any help that you give us, we would love and appreciate.
1: Yay. Bye.